All right, well, good morning. Does everybody know what today is? <laughs> Sunday, yeah. Uh, it's Halloween, yeah. Um, so do you know what that makes tomorrow? All Saints Day. All Saints Day, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, just real quick, uh, who's never heard of All Saints Day before? It's okay if it's, yeah. No, all right, you guys, you guys know what's up. Appreciate that. that. Well, that goes throws the whole sermon out the window because <clears throat> you guys know too much already. Um, no, All, All Saints Day is a part of the church calendar. Um, it's a church holiday observed each year by millions of Christians, probably lots and lots and lots of people all over the world observing All Saints Day. Um, it's not a pop, you're not going to go to, to Meyer or Walmart or Target and catch the All Saints sale though, right? Like, it's not that type of holiday, is it? Um, there's no magical creatures bringing candy, there's no gifts. Uh, many Christians in the evangelical tradition aren't familiar with it. I had never heard of it until I was a ministry student in college. Um, there's this richness and beauty to the church calendar that All Saints is a part of, and uh, we might miss it if we're only paying attention to the commercialized holidays or the ones that our culture tells us are important. Um, and for some, I, I mean, when I first started talking about All Saints Day years ago, people get nervous because, like, the Catholics do stuff with the saints, and we're not Catholic, and, like, let's not get too close to them. There's, so there's some hesitancy there, because we don't quite understand how all that works. So... Right, like today we're going to talk a little bit about what All Saints Day is. Um, usually, um, All Saints Sunday is the, the first Sunday following All Saints Day. So usually the first Sunday in November will be All Saints. Because All Saints Day is November 1st, regardless if it's a Tuesday, a Thursday, whatever. Right, and then it's usually the first Sunday. So if you're paying attention to other churches next week, a lot will probably have some sort of All Saints something observance or something. Um, we're going to talk about All Saints in a moment, but first we need to, to take a look at our sermon scripture for today. The past several weeks, we've been part of this Upside Down Kingdom series. We've been walking through the Gospel of Mark. Um, we're going to take a little detour out of the Gospel of Mark today and grab a hold of uh, the text, the, the scriptures that we, we read, Psalm 24, Revelation, um, the scripture I'm preaching from, is part of the lectionary, it's part of the church here, but it's associated with the All Saints, with an All Saints service. Um, and not the typical Sunday uh, liturgy for today. Um, but we're in John chapter 11, verses 32 through 44. I said we're taking a little detour out of Mark, but um, I hope you'll see the reason why we're doing this as we go along. Uh, John chapter 11, verses 32 through 44. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. 
Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for days, four days. Um, Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing there that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to him, or to them, take off the grave cloths and let him go. Pray with me, if you will. Heavenly Father, we are again grateful for your word this morning. Um, not just, as I say each, each week, not just for uh, your words on a page, ink and paper, or through an app, or however it is we access the Bible. We are truly grateful that you have preserved these stories, these texts, these teachings, these letters for, for millennia. We are grateful for those words. In that word. But this morning, again, I am <clears throat> declaring we are grateful for your word that became flesh and dwells amongst us. Your word that shapes our lives, your word that speaks life as it did to Lazarus, that calls out to those in tombs saying, Come alive, come to me. May that be the word that we hear this morning. Um, it's in, in your son's name we pray this. Amen. Now, the Lazarus story is one that's probably familiar to, to many of us. Um, if you grew up, I mean, I remember probably in Sunday school as a little, little kid hearing the story for the first time. Um, so you're probably familiar with, with the, the events if you've been around the church for any length of time. It's kind of a popular story. <clears throat> but there's a backstory that makes this interesting as well. So, so Jesus knew Lazarus. Obviously, he knew Mary and, and Martha. There's stories in the scripture that, that kind of d- detail that. Um, at one point, Jesus was in that area. Um, if you flip back in the Gospel of John a few chapters early, Jesus was there with them and his disciples. And a, and a crowd, a mob, basically tried to kill Jesus and then ran him out of town. So it was dangerous for Jesus to be back in this place. This was a place that there was people that did not want him to be there. They weren't happy with him. Um, people wanted to kill him. And so when he heard the news about Lazarus, Right, like I'm sure the disciples got a little nervous. Um, we're not really going back there, are we? Right, there's this moment, and and I, I think it's I think it's John um, who said this because it sounds like something John would say. I think it's John uh, when Jesus says we're going. He says, "Great, let's go and die with him." I think that's John. You might, we can look that up later, but um, and I, it, it reads to me sarcastic, like, "Oh, here we go. This is it. Like, let's go die with him." Um, there's nerves, there's tension, there's, there's questions about do we stay where we are because we're safe, do we go and look after Lazarus and his family and Jesus delays but then eventually goes. Um, by the time that Jesus arrives, Lazarus has been dead for several days. He was greeted by grieving family members. Um, and it was at this moment confronted by the loss of a friend of his, the pain in grief of close friends, Jesus began weeping. And many of us are, like I said, familiar with the rest of the story. 
Jesus called for Lazarus to get up out of the tomb, and he did. Um, He raised to life and emerged alive once again to be connected to his family who just moments prior were grieving and in sorrow. And this story can be used to teach several truths. I've heard many sermons and Sunday school lessons and devotional thoughts based off of this specific story. But today we're gonna focus on the fact that Lazarus' death separated him from his family and caused a tremendous amount of pain and grief and sorrow for his family. Like that's gonna be kind of the foundation for our message today. Uh, Mary's statement, she, she starts right out talking to Jesus and says, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus, if you were here and you cared about him, this wouldn't have happened. Jesus, where were you when this awful thing happened? Jesus, don't you care about him? Why weren't you here? Why did you not stop this terrible thing from happening? Does this sound like a familiar question to you at all today? This is a question, honestly, the question of our day and age. Our society, our culture asks this question, how can a good God let bad things happen to people that he supposedly loves? Why do bad things happen to good people? There's people that ask that question in sincerity. There's people that ask that question trying to Uh, disprove the existence of God or push away a call to faith? Why does God allow for families to experience suffering and loss if he really loves us? Maybe you've asked this question yourself. Maybe you've experienced great loss, suffering, grief over a loved one. This last year and a half seems like it's been especially filled with loss and grief for many of us. Many of us have experienced separation and loss due to illness, sickness, even death. And there's a popular version of Christianity, a popularized uh, surface level Christianity that's influenced and shaped by a prosperity gospel teaching. Um, And that, that popular superficial Christianity seems hollow in moments when you're asking where was Jesus when this happened? How does a good God let bad things happen? The prosperity gospel that I refer to has a teaching that says something like, if you're a real Christian, if you have enough faith, if you do the right things, your life will get better. You will be blessed with comfort and material success. You will experience good things if you're a good Christian. The better a Christian you are, the better life you will have. That's kind of the popular version of Christianity and it's appealing it draws us in and it's, it's tempting because it makes sense to us at some level. But then what happens in these moments like Mary and Martha experienced, there's this confusion around when Jesus doesn't show up on time. We needed him here and he wasn't. I thought there was a promise that if we believed in him, this wouldn't happen. But Jesus doesn't show up at least not in time, and Lazarus dies. And because of this, the family experiences loss and sorrow, and they attribute this directly to the fact that Jesus wasn't there. If you'd been here, this wouldn't have happened. Where were you? And when we Christians share our faith with others, this is one of the biggest questions that other people ask of us. You say God is good and God loves me, why did he 
take my loved one away from me? Why did he let me experience this loss? Why is there this suffering? Where was this good God in all of this? Many of us, many of us have experienced this loss of someone we care deeply about. In fact, some are grieving losses today and even at this very moment. In moments of loss, it seems normal and natural to ask where, where's God? Where was God? It might feel like as Christians that, that Jesus should have been there, should have done something to intervene. Where was Jesus when this happened? What's the point of our faith if Jesus isn't gonna show up when Lazarus is sick? I wanna let you in on a secret though. It's not a very good secret. People are not gonna stop asking this question. Why does a good God allow this to happen? Where was Jesus in this? This is the question that is going to define our faith, our relationship with the world going forward. People are gonna continue to ask that question. Oh yeah, if your God is so good, if he's so loving, if he's so powerful, then why evil? Then why suffering, why loss? So as Christians, because people are gonna continue to ask this question, question, as Christians, we need to learn how to answer that question. We need to learn how to answer that question well, not only uh, for others, but so that we know the answer ourselves. So what does all this have to do with tomorrow being All Saints Day? Right, there is a connection. All Saints Day can teach us or remind us of the answer to that question. Right? Where was Jesus when this happened? All Saints Day can remind us or teach us the answer to that question. Now the answer is not gonna be a philosophical question. It's not gonna engage us in, a, in an answer that sorts out the nature of good and evil. Right? Like that's filled for the philosophers and the you know, that's not where we're going. We're not looking for a philosophical answer, though. We're, we are today looking for a Christian answer that invites us to put our hope in Jesus, right? So don't expect to walk out with science uh, textbook answer that says, oh, this is why good and evil exists in the world. But rather, the answer to this question is gonna draw us into more faith in Christ. Invite us to put our hope in this Jesus, so originally the Feast of All Saints or All Saints Day was actually called the Feast of All Martyrs. It was a commemoration in the early church of those who had lost their lives, who had died because of their faith. Now you, you probably know, we talk about it on occasion, that the early church experienced seasons of tremendous persecution, tremendous suffering. Um, they went through real seasons of hard times. I'm not talking about someone saying happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas type of thing, but like torture, physical suffering, some of the most inhumane treatment possible up until the point of execution. There was those that took satisfaction in watching Christians suffer. And one of the reasons why Christians were bold enough in this early church to look death in the face and stand firm in the faith despite the potential of that suffering. The reason they could do that was because they had this hope of resurrection life. They had this hope that Jesus would call their name like he called Lazarus' name, and they would experience new life even after death. And so this whole All Saints Day began as a way for the church to remember those who stayed true to their faith, who boldly held on to their faith in Christ, 
and endured great persecution to the point of death and to the point of martyrdom. You see, Christian theology, we, we, we have this belief, this interesting belief at, at, at its core of what we believe. We believe that death has been defeated through the resurrection of Jesus. Death has lost. Those in Christ don't experience death, but we experience life in Christ, the scriptures tell us. And so the story of Lazarus reminds us that death doesn't get the final word. Jesus defeats death, he overcomes death, and, and that Jesus, uh, through Jesus, we remain in fellowship and in relationship. We remain connected to those others in faith, others in this family, even connected in relationship, spiritual connections with those who have passed on. So as such, we're not completely separated from the other members of this great global church, right? Whether living or dead, we are one family in and through Jesus. This is the, the truth that I want you to, to grab a hold of this morning as we move forward. Um, this will shape our understanding as, uh, of the rest of the message. When Jesus calls us to a new life, when Jesus calls us to resurrection life, he calls us to a never-ending life in the family of God. Right? When he calls us to new life, he calls us to never-ending life in the family of God. There's this special connection, this spiritual connection, this deep bond between Christians, whether living or dead, and it sounds ridiculous to say that, but there's this special spiritual connection between Christians, all Christians, because of who Jesus is. And so a common practice in churches um, that celebrate, that observe All Saints Day is to read the names of those who have died in the past year. Um, for, for most churches uh, that will observe All Saints Day, um, they will do it next Sunday. Like I said, there'll be some sort of celebration, service. Some will be a somber tone. Some will be a more of a celebration, depending on the church. Um, if you follow other churches on, on social media, media, you'll probably see some references to those who have, have passed on and how they observe All Saints Day. But common practice is they'll, they'll read the names of those who have passed in the, in the past year and sometimes they'll ring a bell after every name. Sometimes they'll light a candle. Um, they acknowledge and remember that not only did they say goodbye to a loved one, but that in Christ and through Christ and because of Christ, we are still united in fellowship. That death cannot separate us. Um, so as much as I, I, I thought about doing that traditional reading this, this year, I wasn't sure uh, how much experience First Church has had with, with all saints. Now I know that you guys are all familiar with it and experts and scholars and probably could have done this, but... Um, but I'm cautious to jump into a new thing and just throw just random things at you guys and create confusion. That's, I, don't, I don't like confusion. So I, th I thought about it, but then I thought, well, maybe introduce some concepts this year that we can prepare for next year. So rather than jump into a traditional practice of reading of names uh, this year, I thought it would make sense for us to focus on the depth of meaning behind All Saints Day because honestly, there is something important for us to rediscover underneath it all. For the last few hundred years of Christian history, 
there has been a growing emphasis on my personal relationship with Jesus. Right, this is kind of the evangelical movement. Right, you must be born again. You must make a decision for Christ. Right, and this is this is good. Right, like you can't somebody else can't make you a Christian, and you can't make somebody else a Christian. So our relationship with Jesus should be deeply personal. It should be a commitment that is one that I make with my heart and with my my mind and with my my whole self. So it, it lines up kind of with this individualistic view that the, the world has been moving in uh, the past several hundred years. Um, that you know, we're, we see ourselves as more autonomous, more individuals than maybe in the past. But we end up with these conversations about my Christian experience, my salvation, my sanctification, right? They're all wrapped up in the decisions that I've made about myself or I've made about who I think God is. Like I said, I can't make those decisions for somebody else and they can't make them for me. But in recent times, there's been a shift and it's not necessarily a very good shift. Um, It's a shift that's moved from this personal relationship with God and it's morphed and shifted into a private relationship with God. The New Testament uh, teaches about a priesthood of all believers Right, and what that means is that Christians are given a mission to be priests, to be mediators of grace uh, and God's blessing to one another, to others, to the world. But somehow, the priesthood of all believers has moved from that great mission, that great calling, that great vocation. It has shifted to become, uh, to mean that I don't need anyone else to talk to God for me. (laughs) Um, I have direct access to God myself. There's no priest needed. I'm. I have a line direct line, I don't need to call the operator first, right? I don't need anyone else to be a Christian, right? I don't need the church to be a Christian. It's just between me and God. Like I said, this is an unhealthy move. Personal relationship with Jesus, good. Private relationship with Jesus, not so good. And as much as I'm aware that there's this secular non-Christian influence in the world around us that, that the church is not as accepted as it once was in society at large, I'm starting to come to the, the realization, the understanding that the church in America is struggling today, not because the world has made a decision recently to come for us, is out to get us. Again, from day one, the world has been out against the things of Jesus, against the church of Jesus Christ, and they have thrived when things have been most difficult. So I don't think that the, the, the downward trends in church, the lack of people participating in church, the, the people that have walked away from church, I don't think it's necessarily because we're under attack from society at large, but I'm coming to the conclusion that because the church itself has embraced this private faith, we're negating the very power, the very witness of the church as a gathered community. When we make it about me and God, we forget about us and God and so we hear things more often today that things like it's just between me and God I don't need anyone else no one else needs me my faith only affects me if I'm faithful that's between me and God if I sin that's between me and God it doesn't affect anybody else and most likely um, when we get 
an anemic sense of the gospel, when our gospel is super shallow, we get to the point where it says, my faith only affects me and it usually only affects me after I, after I die. From my perspective though, it seems that there's something earlier generations of the church understood that, that we maybe have forgotten over the years. And I think All Saints Day can remind us of what that is and that's why I wanted to spend time talking about it today. In the early days of the church, becoming a Christian was not just about being taught the right ideas or the right beliefs about who Jesus was and then saying, well, I agree with that. Um, there was something deeper going on in the early church. And that's what the, the Feast of All Saints is meant to teach us, to remind us. The early church was, first and foremost, a body made up of many members. It was a community of believers, right? It was a radical new definition of family. That's what made the church the church. It wasn't that they just lived different lives as individuals, right, because of their faith. They lived differently together because of their faith. People who were on the margins of society, the poor, the sick, the orphans, the widows, the slaves, you know, the, the list that, that scripture names time and time again, the ones who didn't fit nice and neat into the glorious vision that the Roman Empire had for the world, those, those people found hope, not in a set of religious statements. They, they found hope not in a bunch of new rules that they had to follow, but they found hope in a group of people who truly loved one another, regardless of status and standing. Their ethnicity, their gender, their, their sin history, their, their level of wealth or education, their status in society, their, their physical well-being and health, their marital status, their status as a person who is freed or a person who is enslaved, um, all of them were welcome to the same table. All sins were forgiven and everybody who came was loved. This was a radical new family, and this radical new family made each other's needs a priority. Oh, you're sick, let me, let me sell my possessions to get you to the treatment that you need. You can't afford food for yourself or your family, let me share what I have with you. To the, the widows, they would say, your husband is gone and you have no one to protect you from this world that is extremely harsh. To women, you're safe here with us. To the orphans, they would say, your parents are gone. And as a child, you have no standing in society. You have no pathway to get education, no, no pathway to get a trade, to make a living. You're part of our family now. Those who gathered together in Christ, those who we call the early church, weren't a group of individuals that gathered in a building on Sunday morning as individuals. They shared meals together weekly, if not daily. They shared their personal resources. The church was this radical way of living that rejected the world's way of assigning value and status based upon your standing in society. This church was joined together through a faith in Christ, a trust in Christ, an allegiance to Jesus. It was a community that invited anyone and everyone in. But beyond that, this is, and, and that's a great first step, I would think, and we hear that in churches and, and that's announced and, and that's a, a great thing to celebrate, like all are welcome. But there's a, a second part to this that I think we forget. 
It was a community that invited anyone and everyone in, but it was a community that could not be separated or broken apart by anything. Sin, the church would say, we will forgive one another. Conflict would arise and they say, we will resolve it based on a mutual love for each other. We don't have what we need. We, we're not educated or, or strong enough or don't have the gifts or abilities. It says we were encouraged and edified one another in faith. We will build each other up. We will support each other, carry each other's burdens, right? And said living this way is hard. But they would say, sure is, but we have been given gifts from the Holy Spirit which allow us to live in this type of community so these things that, that could separate us, that could potentially drive wedges between the church, they would say, no, 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 we've, because of the gospel, we have a way to overcome those things. A community of believers that could not be separated or broken apart by anything. Now in the scriptures, we see that ideal being missed time and time again. If the church actually functioned that way, Paul would not have to write most of the New Testament that he wrote. But this was always the vision this was always what the church was when it was at its best. And then, tying all that back into All Saints Day, what's one more thing that could divide the community, that could separate this radical family in Christ? Well, the world would say death. And the church's response to death would say this, being baptized signified a death to this life and an entrance into a new life in Jesus. So for all of those who have entered into this new life, we remain in fellowship together even when someone passes from this life unto the next. Because it is life in Jesus, it is life in Christ that joins us together, it is life in Jesus, life in Christ that keeps the bond intact. What can separate you from the love of Jesus? Nothing. And the early church was this compelling witness to a different way of living. It was a witness to a new life together that could not be defeated, could not be broken even by death. And so here's the, the million dollar question for all of us on a week where many will celebrate All Saints Day. Do you know anyone who might need to find comfort in knowing that death cannot separate us from one another? Do you know anyone who might find peace and comfort in that announcement? that death does not win. Mary is upset because Jesus didn't show up in time to heal her sick brother, but Jesus had something beyond what she could even imagine for her, something greater to offer, life together without end. Not to heal his sickness, but a new life as part of God's family. Do you think there's a need in this world for a community of people who say, whoever you are, Whatever you've done, no matter how strong or weak you feel, no matter how good or bad you think you are, no matter how big or small your bank account is, no matter what your family name is, no matter what your resume looks like, whoever you are, just come. You belong here. You'll be loved because you are family. Do you know anyone who could hear that message today and receive it as good news? Maybe it's you. Maybe you needed to hear that being part of this church isn't about just agreeing with doctrines. It's not about just following a strict moral code, following a bunch of rules. Maybe you needed to hear it's not just about me and God, 
No, the church is this beautiful and daring radical family that says to those who feel lost, you are home here. To those who feel forgotten, those who feel pushed aside or left behind, the church says, we know your name. To those who are hurting, the church says, we will bear your burdens with you and offer to help you and walk with you in healing. To those who are sinning, the church says, we offer forgiveness of guilt and shame and we will help you get free of those life-stealing activities that you're a part of. And then all Saints Day reminds us that there is nothing that can break apart this family. Not only are you welcome to be a part of this family, but this family will never end. Nothing can break up this family. There is nothing that is more powerful than the love of Christ shared in the people of Christ. Even in death, as, as millions remember their lost loved ones this week in various All Saints observances, we are still together as the body of Christ. And so as a church, we're tempted or sometimes just forget that this is who we are and we do that more often than we should. We think about church as individuals but we forget about church as this radical community, this family. Church splits, church fights seem to be the reputation of Christians in our culture more than being this radical family of love that overcomes everything else. But that's the beauty of All Saints. It's a reminder of not only who we are as individuals, but who we are as the family of God. This is one of the most important meanings for Christian baptism. I mean, yes, you stand up in front of a church or a group of people publicly and say, I profess, I confess faith in Jesus. I believe these things about him. Like that's, it's, it's in the Nazarene manual. Those are words that you will say if you get baptized. I can, confess these things about Jesus, I believe those things. And that's important. But there's more meaning to baptism than that. It's an entry point into the family of God. It's a point where you're, you've been welcomed to the table. It's walking through the front door of the house on the Thanksgiving meal and being like, here's a seat for you. It's saying I belong to this family, this is my family, and I'm joining a family in which there is no end, no separation. And that's the, been the Christian invitation for 2,000 years. Be baptized into this family. Come join this family. Be completely engulfed into this, this radical family of believers. A family that nothing can separate. Nothing can separate the family that, puts God, that, that God puts together. Right? As a bit of an ad, a side note, if you're tracking along with me, on November 21st, that's Christ the King Sunday, we'll be observing that. If anybody is interested in being baptized, into declaring, yes, I have faith in Jesus, but also I am a part of this family, I need to be a part of this family to which there is no end, um, come talk to me about baptism. Um, we do it a couple times a year, and if it's something that you've been wrestling with God about, I'd love to, to talk with you. Or if you heard this message this morning and said, ooh, that sounds like something I, I need to be a part of. Um, let me know and we can work out some details there. So that's on November 21st. Also, as we prepare to kind of conclude our time together, you'll see on the table um, just a bunch of candles from, honestly, they're from a previous service. Um, and uh, like I said, I didn't want to go into the full-blown All Saints thing. Um, 
for a couple different reasons. But during this last song, when the worship team is gonna lead us in a time of response, if you want to come thinking of a loved one you've lost, or loved ones you've lost in the last year or so, feel free to come and light a candle. Um, Come pray at an altar if you want. Um, Come express before God your grief and sorrow. Come wrestle. Mary was bold. She said, Jesus, where were you at? (laughs) Jesus can take it, okay? But he wants to remind you that in Christ and through Christ, we're never truly separated. And so come, light a candle if you want. I could only find one little lighter thingy, so you'll have to be patient if there's a a group that comes up. Um, But I'm gonna invite the worship team to come and lead us uh, in a time. And and worship team, I don't wanna exclude you from this. I'm gonna pray here in a minute. If you wanna light a candle on your way up, feel free to do that while I'm praying. I don't wanna exclude you from that opportunity. Um, But everyone else, please please join me in a, a moment of prayer. Resurrecting God, bless those who mourn that they may be comforted. Bless the poor in spirit that they may inherit the kingdom of heaven. Bless the pure in heart that they may see you. Visit those whose face, who face death amid persecution and violence that they may know the gladness and rejoicing of your kingdom. Be close to any who end their days in agony and isolation, that they may enter the joy of their reward. Where your children feel all is lost, meet them in their fear. Touch them in their loneliness. Raise them by your mercy. So that on the last day, when you bring a new heaven and a new earth, whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere, be changed from glory into glory, with and by you. One God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.